Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning to each of you. Thought as I was walking up this way, and I hope it happens to some of you. The great thing it is that I can come here. My children, grandchildren, great grandchildren here. What a wonderful thing that is, and I hope that you can have the same thing and that will happen to you. I'm going to be speaking this morning concerning the restoration movement. I inquired the other day and was told that. This is a subject that has not been taught here in many, many years. That's fine. So you may, especially to our younger people, you may hear some things this morning that you're not familiar with, and that will be good that you will be that you will be hearing these things. There is two movements: the Restoration Movement and the Reformation Movement. The Reformation Movement was those people that were trying to reform the Catholic Church, primarily Martin Luther in the 12th, 13th, 14th century, long like that, trying to reform that which he was a part of and he was trying to reform it from the inside. The Restoration Movement, totally different. Go back to the original. Look at that. We can figure out the church and worship in that way. Notice that uh, the chief effort has been in the restoration movement. That we be a group of people that can worship and serve God in this way. Let us look back at, uh, we'll look at some history this morning. And uh, if this is history, I will call names this morning of uh, church groups and of individuals. I do not wish to speak disrespectfully of other church groups, but it's just history that I'm reading about what happened with, with these people. And uh, as you look at the restoration movement, this is in the, in the Bible that tells us that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We believe that the church, and as was recorded and was read this morning in our presence from the book of Acts in the second chapter, it was founded on the day of Pentecost in AD 33, according to Acts chapter 2, verse number 36 through 37. The church as it was started and as it was founded was perfect. Its members were not. It grew by the thousands, 3,000 the first day. Short time later, another 5,000 was added. They were adding people right and left. Notice people were not joining. The Lord was adding them to his church. This number got to be large. Persecution came their way and they were scattered across the country and it wound up that there were churches in many many cities and later on you can look in the in the New Testament and there you'll find the letters by Paul and by other writers of the New Testament as they sent letters to these churches in other places there was the church at Corinth at Galatia at Ephesus at Philippi at Colossae Jordan and Aubrey last night they were been in the Greece and they were in some of these towns where Paul sent letters to to the churches and addressed them to the elders and the deacons that are at a certain church. The church had been so corrupted by the Catholics. and But even though it had been corrupted, there was always that remnant 
You can find bits and pieces. You can find a few things about the remnants of the church. But there is one group, only one, and we never heard anything about it until a few years ago. They had not been corrupted. A young lady came over here as an exchange student from the small country of Armenia. Armenia is a small, poor country next to Turkey. And as she said, our country sits right at the base of Mount Ararak. And she said, there's an ark up on top of that mountain above our heads. She was in the home of Mike Minster. Mike said, I see in your papers that you say that you're a Christian. Can you tell me about Christianity in Armenia? Mike didn't know anything about it. None of the rest of us did either. She said, Mike, I am a part of the New Testament church. That is referred to in the New Testament. I am a Christian. I am not Protestant. I am not Catholic. I am not Jewish. I am Christian. Two of the original apostles, and she knew which two. I have forgotten which two. I, I heard Mike Minson tell this story a few years ago. And I've forgotten which two. They brought the word to us over 1900 years ago. And we've been practicing it and preaching it ever since. You can find this New Testament church in all the smaller towns of Armenia. In some of the bigger cities. They have so corrupted it that you would not recognize it. Mike says, tell me what you do on the first day of the week. She said, well, we're a poor country. We do not have church buildings like you do, but in a community. All the Christians gather in someone's home. While we're there, we sing, we pray, we have the Lord's Supper, we give. We do not have preaching like you have. But a brother simply stands and reads the scriptures. Mike said, what do you do if you want, if somebody wants to be saved? She said, take them down the creek and baptize them. Craig, that sounds like the Church of Christ to me. They're, they had not been corrupted. Been going on that way for 1900 years. And I trust that it will continue to go on from that time. Let's suppose the game of baseball. Most of us know something about. Played, played it as kids. That kind of thing. It completely disappeared from the face of the earth. For two or three hundred years. Nobody knew anything about it. Never seen it. Never heard about it. But Brother Craig here. He finds a baseball rule book. He starts reading it. Well here's a game. Nine men on a team. Or nine uh, men and women. Whatever uh, game in your neighborhood. Played on a diamond shaped field. Bases 90 feet apart. You get up to bat, you get three strikes. If you hit the ball, you run to first base. If you get all the way around and cross home plate, you score a run. I believe Craig could read that book and figure out how to play a game of baseball. And he could get his family, friends, associates together, and they could have a game. Isn't that what these people advocating, restoring? New Testament Christianity. They were trying to go back to what it was and read the rule book and then decide about this. Reading simply the rule book that would come from this. Since the beginning of the Reformation, 
when the Reformation movement started, the Bible was making many, many gains. It was making fantastic gains in circulation year by year. The increase of knowledge was increasing primarily because the printing press had just been had just come about. And Martin Luther kept a printing press running day and night. Man, he was turning out that material. And the Catholics could not stop him. As men learned more about God through the printed word, and so therefore in the community, there was not just one Bible chained to the pulpit in that community. That being the only one, there was lots of them. And people could read about it. And as they read about it, in the hearts of many of them, the questions came, why don't we just go back to the original? Why don't we go back to the Bible and do away with all the creeds? And there they could read about the church having its beginning in Acts chapter 2 in A.D. 33. Again, that was the perfect example. Some of the people that became members, they were not always perfect. As the number of denominations, as they continued, multiplied, new creed books, confessions of faith, written, rewritten, it became evident that the Reformation movement was not going to restore New Testament Christianity. It could not do that from the inside. The movement was a failure to restore New Testament Christianity in its uh, purity and in its simplicity. Martin Luther realized, realized this, and he realized that what's going to happen is just another denomination going to come out of this. So he told the people, do not start a church in my name. I haven't died for anyone. They started one anyway. The Lutheran church. That's how it came about. Against his protest, he didn't want that to happen at that time. There were a number of leaders that were involved in this restoration movement that started, and the earliest example I have is about 1794, 1794, and this was a long time before some other well-named people, such as Mr. Alexander Campbell, arrived in America. James O'Kelly was a Methodist preacher, but he didn't stay a Methodist very long. He decided to leave that group. Let us realize that he, he realized that the church was something more than trying to follow what some convention, some group of people might say that it ought to be. Let us realize that the church had been around for a long, long time before James O'Kelly met this preacher, left his church. I come to you here today. A year and a half I've been here. I come here as a part of the came here as a part of the Prada Drive Church. La Prada is now 174 years old. It, the Church of Christ is not a denomination that started 100 years ago. La Prada is 174 years old. We have the membership roll from 1847. They started about four or five miles from the present location of La Prada now. So certainly then we can see that as Christians today, we're not Catholic, we're not Protestant, we're not Jewish. We're a Christian today. And that's the way it ought to be. 
there was a lot of people that were involved in this. They were from different parts of the southeast part of this in the country. They did not know one another. They were all doing almost the same thing. Why were they all doing the same thing? Craig, they were reading the rule book, trying to figure it out. James O. Kelly got kicked out of the Methodist church. He withdrew from them. And this is what he wrote about that. He said, we need to use the name Christian only and no other. Christ is the only head of the church. The Bible is its only creed. Don't believe you can disagree with anything he said there. Next gentleman. One year later, year 1800, a Dr. Abner Jones was a Baptist. He broke away from the Baptists in the year 1800. He led in establishing congregations that uh, endeavored to worship after the Testament order. He said we need to be referred to as not as Baptists, but as Christians. Christians only. Accepting the Bible only as our rule of faith and of practice. Dr. Jones had never heard of Mr. Kelly. They lived hundreds of miles apart. Both of them were doing almost the same thing. But they'd never heard of one another. Let us realize that the Bible only makes Christians only. It takes creeds. It takes disciplines. It takes conventions. And all of these kind of things. To make you something other than a Christian. Barton W. Stone. Here's a bewildered young man. He's very young. He wanted to be saved, but he hadn't gone undergone any kind of religious experience. And they were telling him, you've got to have some kind of religious experience. You know, the Lord's got to zap you in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And uh, he wasn't sure that he was one of the elect or anything like that. But he was urged by some of his friends, even though None of these things have happened to you and you haven't been called. We think you can preach anyway. I was in a Bible study about three weeks ago. We had a Bible study prayer session over at uh, Silver Elms Retirement Center about three or four weeks ago. Five or six people there. And I told the group that a few months after Linda and I married, I wrote in a book that I planned to be an elder in the church someday. The lady sitting next to me that said that she was a church elder, and I told her, You can't be a church elder, you're not the you're not the husband of one wife, and you don't qualify. And she said, You can't you can't start preparing like that because you haven't been called yet. Boy, that's the first time I'd run into that. You can't start preparing to be an elder. Young. You haven't been called to do that yet. She said, well, I'm a, I'm a church elder because the church said I could be one. That's about all she knew about it. Because a little later in the same Bible study, somebody said the book of Ephesians, she turned to me and said, is the book of Ephesians in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Craig, I like to fell out of my seat. They don't know beans about what the Bible has to say. All they know is some religious philosophy that their preacher has told them about. She certainly had not used what Titus would say in Titus 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse number 9, that the elder, by sound doctrine, may be able to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. 
she had no capability of doing anything like this. Mr. Martin W. Stone wrote this. We will that people henceforth take the Bible as their only guide to heaven and as many are offended by other books which stand in competition. It would be better for them if they threw them in the fire if they choose to do so. For it's better to enter into life with one book than to have many books and go to hell. Now that's about as plain as you can put it. What are those statements that Mr. Stone there made that you could object to? Because he was simply saying that the Bible is to be the complete and the final revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these men then, O'Kelly, Abner Jones, Martin W. Stone, pleading for a return to the New Testament. They were doing all of these things without the knowledge of the other people that were involved. Never met them, didn't know them, but the dates are pretty close, 1794, 1800, 1801. In 1807, a Campbell shows up. A Thomas Campbell came from Scotland. Over here. He came in 1807. He began to read the rule book about the church. I would remind you that he got here in 1807. The church, the church Ashlock, just north of Salina, Tennessee. On the Tennessee-Kentucky line, in fact, the state line runs straight through the middle of their building. Half of us in Tennessee, half in Kentucky. Those people have been meeting continuously since 1805. That is their history. They can prove that. As a church of Christ, we've been meeting since 1805. I have been there to their church service. Fine group of people on a mountaintop, Tennessee and Kentucky. Thomas Campbell and his associates renounced their allegiance to creeds and they announced that for their purpose they were going to be guided by the New Testament alone. They were unaware of what others were doing, but they were taking steps, they were taking steps then in that, uh, in that right direction. And they, they trusted that they were going to be able to get there soon. So we've seen the name of about four different people so far. We've seen uh, O'Kelly, Jones, Stone, and Thomas Campbell. Keep in mind, that that young man named Alexander is still a schoolboy in Scotland. He's not here. Thomas Campbell was over here for two years before he sent for his family, and his family arrived in the United States on September 29, 1809. Alexander Campbell at that time was 21 years old. Again, 1809 was when he got here. Ashlock had been meeting for four years. 1805, they'd been meeting for four years. Alexander Campbell lived until 1866. He passed away at the age of 78 in West Virginia. It's interesting because you see a man by the name of John Spain, better known as Preacher John to all of his friends, a very prominent as a history that I found a very prominent citizen of his community and well respected. That's my great grandfather. He was born in 1853. 
He was 13 years old when Alexander Campbell died. Whether you ever heard him preach or not, or ever met him, I do not know. But he was 13 years old. I don't remember the man. He was, I was three years old when he died. He died at 85. And I was three years old. He had moved from Tennessee to, uh, to Arkansas. And I was three at that time. But he was a man that loved the Lord. Defend the word. In the pulpit. In debates. Whatever it might be. And I will always feel honored to read about a marriage license that he signed in 1896. When he wrote his name, I, John Spain, wrote John Spain underneath that five words, a minister of the gospel. He was not ashamed of that gospel that he preached. Poor man. We drive a nice car, he rode a mule to uh, go and proclaim the gospel uh, back in that day. Remnants of the church have been found down through the years. One of these is more than a remnant, you might say. 1669. 1669. 140 years or so before anything starts happening in America. 1669. And this is recording history, and you can find it. There are eight congregations in England. Records have been found. They were called the Church of Christ. They practiced baptism by immersion. They observed the Lord's Supper every Sunday. They had elders and deacons. Craig, that sounds like the Church of Christ to me. Eight congregations. Brother Harry Cobb from Wedowie, Alabama went over to visit, found these people, and went to church with them. Well, that was 35, 40 years ago. Whether or not they're still in England, I do not know. Let's look at another let's look at another remnant. How did those people over in England get that away? What happened? Somewhere down the line, somebody found the rule book. And they followed it. Let's look at another example. Here's an example of somebody finding the rule book. The state of Massachusetts in its Bay Colony work has erected its historical marker. In Massachusetts, the Church of Christ, 1710, meeting of the Church of Christ in Rumney Marsh, erected 1710. I told a couple of our brethren that I knew were going to that part of the country about this probably a few years ago, and they went up there and they found this historical marker. Not put up there by the church. The state of Massachusetts put up this historical marker. This was the meeting place of a Church of Christ in 1710. That's 99 years before the Campbells came to America. Ashlock again started 1805. It's still meeting. I've been there. You ever had the opportunity of going down that way? They would enjoy having you come and visit with them. The one I like next is really, I really like this one. It's called Old Mulkey because the preacher's name was John Mulkey. John Mulkey was a Baptist preacher. This was a Baptist church and that was built out of logs and such an elegant building. It's in the shape of a large cross. The speaker stood up in the top of the cross. The people sat out there on split log seats with no backs. They met in that building 
for some 50 years. They were a Baptist church for two years. Right in the middle of one of his sermons, and these are plaques out on the building and on the fences, everything like that, put up there by the state of Kentucky that you can read. Church didn't put this up there. state of Kentucky put it up. Right in the middle of one of his sermons, the plaque says, he told the people, I've been mistaken about some things. From this time forth, this church needs to be known as a church of Christ. When he said that, 50 people got up and walked out. Went down the road a few miles, started a Baptist church. That left him 150 people. They met in that, continued to meet in that log building for another 50 years. The Church of Christ, Mulkey Church of Christ. About four or five miles from a small town out on a state road. And uh, they met there, realizing what a marvelous building this was. The largest log building ever constructed in the state of Kentucky. The state took it over as a state park. They have kept that building maintained and the cemetery that is right next to it. And they put up all these plaques of how this came about. And you can go in and it's open every day. You can go in that building, walk up there, and I stood there for Stone, O'Kelly, Campbell, where they stood to preach. You can stand there in that same place today. And as you walk outside the cemetery there, and you walk up to the cemetery and you notice the very first grave, it's interesting to me. Very first hazard, they have a marker on it. The state's put up a marker there. Hannah Boone Pennington, sister of Daniel, was a member of this church. Whether they ever got Daniel there with his raccoon cap or not, I don't know. But his sister attended there, according to the plaque above her grave. Bridgeport, Alabama, 1811 is the oldest church of Christ in, uh, in Alabama. 1819, Rinkin, Georgia. Where's Bruce? He ought to holler, Amen. This is Bruce's hometown, Rinkin, Georgia, 1819. Alexander Campbell began to speak exclusively in the churches of Christ in 1827. Irish Lock had been meeting for 22 years. Other churches, Mulkey had been meeting for quite some time. Campbell must have been a fascinating individual. He had a large family, 12 children. He became a very wealthy businessman and farmer. He was a friend of all the presidents along the way as he lived. He was personal friends with many of the presidents. He was a regular visitor at the White House. He was the Billy Graham of his day. President Madison said that Campbell was the ablest, most original, and powerful preacher that I have ever known, period. I'm saying something about something. His sermons were usually three hours long. They had a problem. They never could find a building big enough to hold out the crowd. They'd have more people outside than they had inside. There was not a building big enough to hold the crowds that he drew. And when he got through preaching after three hours, you think about sitting on that split split log seat with no back for three hours. He got through, people reaching their pocket, pulled out that big old pocket watch and looked, think something wrong with it. They couldn't believe they'd been sitting there for three hours. 
He was such a spellbinding orator in that day. You know, once a year, the President of the United States addresses a joint session of Congress. The House and the Senate get together and the President speaks to them. Guess what? The joint session of Congress of the House and the Senate, Alexander Campbell spoke to them on John 3.16. I don't know how long he preached on John 3.16 that day. The Church of Christ had tremendous growth from 1830 to 1850. It was the fourth largest church group in this nation, in the United States. After the Civil War, it was the fastest growing church group in this country. The Restoration Movement is the largest religious movement that this country has ever known in the history of America. Despite the work of Campbell, O'Kelly, Stone, uh, Jones, and others of that day, let us realize that these were uninspired men they were subject to making a mistake. So therefore, it would be a mistake if you tried to defend them in everything that they did. They were right only so far as they, what they taught whenever it came from the New Testament. So when churches of Christ today preach that same thing, it is not because these men taught it. It is because it comes straight out of the Bible. I ran into just a little bit of this the last nine or ten months. I attempted something over at Silver Elms Retirement Center that other groups have gone into assisted living, retirements, whatever, and they may be on a Thursday night, two or three songs of prayer, and a Bible study. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted a full church service on Sunday morning. Just shorten it just a little bit because of the time constraints. I wanted a full church service on Sunday morning. We had singing. We had praying. We had communion. We had the Lord's Supper. We had a message from the Word of God every Sunday. Sometimes Mark or Jordan come over to help out. But I handled many of them by myself. Some of them by myself. And uh, I told them the very first Sunday. They had not a clue what the Church of Christ was. Never heard of it. Never seen it, never been to a service. The Church of Christ is the most Bible-based church in America, according to Reader's Digest. I spoke to more non-Christians in the past nine or ten months than I have the rest of my life as a preacher. Because a good part of the people, over half the people that was in the audience, and we, the smallest audience that we had was, was Memorial Day, and we only had 13 I hit 12, we hit 26 twice. Hit 26 people two times. Other times, 22, 21, 23. Along like that. And then 110 people living there. That's a very high percentage because these people came because they were asked to come. Love to have you come be a part of our church service. This will, I told them this will be a very simple service. Along the lines of the church in the first century, I will give you book, chapter, and verse for everything that I say. And a retired lawyer and judge with his wife who said she was a church elder said, we take everything you say and we discuss it when we get back to our rooms. Some people, it made an impression on them. A man 
that would come out of his room, pushing his walker, he's approaching 90, still mentally alert but not getting around real well. I stopped him one day in the hall and I said, we have a church service every morning at 9 o'clock. Love to have you come. He came. Service is over with. He said, I can't believe what you're doing here. He said, you got Catholics and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and a First Christian and all this bunch of people and you have a church service peacefully. Goes along quite well. He said, you are running an ecumenical service. I wasn't for sure if I knew what that word ecumenical meant and the full meaning of it. He said, you're running an ecumenical service and I like it. I will be back. He came back six times in a row and seemed to enjoy it and his attitude completely changed. What a good thing that was. The people came because they were invited. I'm encouraging you to invite people to come to the service of the church. You invite them to come. And you'll be blessed by it. You won't get as high a percentage as I got in the, the of the 20s and 26 and that kind of thing. But you'll get some. I worked in sales for many years. I had to make 50 calls a week to get two sales. I had 48 that said no. But I couldn't give up on that. I knew I was going to find those two that would say yes. You invite people to come. The very last remark that I had two weeks ago over there at Silver Elm was, in the words of one of our old preachers, study your Bible, lovingly obey it, and it will lead you home to glory. We would encourage you to be a Christian today. Follow in the footsteps of the Savior. If you would do that today, we'd be happy to help you in any way that we can as we stand to sing, would you come? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.